Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, nears? What the fuck, nucks? What the fuck? I'm in a car. I'm driving through Indiana. This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. I, uh, you know who I am. What do I even got to go into it? Let me try to capture the, the feeling and the moment of what's happening right now. I'm recording this in a car. Why didn't I record it in my hotel room? I could have, but I didn't because I thought I was all set. Everything was going to be okay. I'm just going to fly from Indianapolis. Oh, I'm going to drive there first from Bloomington, which is where I was. I got two local comics in the car, Josh and Jordan. They're just going to sit here and be quiet, I guess. Look, there's corn. There's corn, you guys. You're, that doesn't surprise you, though, does it? No, not at all. This is It's corn country. I'm not being condescending. It's just a reality of America. There happens to be a lot of corn around, especially in Indiana. What is on this truck? Oh, my God. How often do you see this? It's a carnival in transit. Look at that little roller coaster. I just saw a roller coaster on a truck, you guys. And this is another, another ride. It's the Sizzler. That's a ride. I just saw two rides on a truck, and they're more, more corn. This is America. I feel like I should break into the national anthem right now. What's happening? So you wonder about the road life. Some of you really enjoyed that episode of Marin um, that was on uh, last Thursday uh, with me and Dave Anthony and Brendan Walsh, who played a comic who picked me up at the airport. That happens. These guys are driving me to the airport. I don't know why there's two of them. I guess one of them felt like he might fall asleep on the way back. He was looking out for himself. Might have, might need someone to talk to. What was it, fellas? Talk to. Talk to? Yeah, we're working on projects. They're working on projects in the car. They're doing a... Uh, what are you doing? Uh, putting together... Uh, we got a web series. Josh and Jordan have a web series. Is it on the air now? No. It's not on yet, so look forward to that. What's it called? I don't have a name. Super you, Duper. It's called Super Duper? Yeah. You're going to need a better name. All right, I, well, look out for that on your web. <laughs> now, now we're behind a bus. We had to turn the air conditioner off. Is there an accident? I'd like to do some reporting. Uh, right now, I see a downed barrel. All right, we're moving through. Today on the show, David Huntsberger, who's a comedian. Uh, he also uh, co-hosts the, the podcast Professor Blastoff with uh, Tig Notaro and Kyle Dunnigan. And I didn't really know David, and we had an amazing conversation. It was one of those episodes where I left the garage going like, holy shit, how did, I had no idea that that life existed. Completely surprising. Outside of the box. It involves rodeos. It involves horses. I'm not good with horses. Are you? Oh my God. Look, I don't even know if, if I'm going to be using this, but I'll tell you right now, if I'm using it, it's been a bad morning. Okay. Let me explain to you what's happening. And, and I'm a little out of it. I slept like five hours because I did two shows last night and I want to meet everybody that comes to the show who wants to hang out and take a picture. What is that stuff over there? Just rocks? Bricks? What is the giant white things? Where's that quarry that was in Breaking Away? Do we have time to go there? Uh, not if you want to make your flight. All right, then it's not worth it. I would like to go to that quarry. Can you jump in and swim in it? Yeah. You can? Yeah, of course. Have you done that? No. You live here, though? Yes. And you know it's right there? Yes. All right, I understand that. You know, you maybe see if I would have thought about it earlier and I would say, hey, I'm in from out of town and I'd like to go swim in that quarry where that was in breaking away. Uh, we could have done it, right? Yeah. All right, but I, okay, so I fucked up. 
All right, so here's what happened. So I get up this morning. I got a 12:40, a 1:45 flight out of Indiana, and I didn't look at my connection to Chicago because I don't book my own travel. I agree to things, and I'm like, oh, it, it'll be fine. That sounds good. And now I've got less than an hour to connect in Chicago, which is a huge fucking airport from the T terminal, which is where these little buddy Howie planes fly into. And then I got to run with my bag that I got to wait for on the uh, what do you call that thing, the jetway, uh, to wherever my gate is, H or J. And that's a nightmare. I almost died the last time that happened. So I'm recording this in preparation to miss my flight out of Chicago to L.A. to record the show in my home, in the garage. So you're experiencing me in pure uh, preemptive panic mode. I think that's a fine name for what I do. You could say it's worrying about shit that you have no control over. I'm going to call it preemptive panic as if it's something helpful. I'm just fucking freaking out because I don't think I don't want to be running around the Chicago airport uh, having missed a flight trying to figure out where to record my show. There's farmhouses. Oh, man, I could live here. I had that moment in Bloomington a couple of times. It passed very quickly, though. So what what was going on? Not, see, I don't want to be condescending. I have a great time in Bloomington. There's good food. I had good coffee. Um, I think I saw John Mellencamp, but it might have been a homeless guy. But apparently that's sort of the way it goes with him. I uh, We had great shows. I, I really love the Comedy Attic. I'm glad everyone came out. It's been kind of a weird whirlwind Midwest thing. But anyways, thank you for watching the, uh, the Marin on IFC, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, there's more episodes coming up. I, I wish I remembered, I, if I had it in front of me, which I probably wouldn't have had it in front of me in the garage either, I would be able to tell you the episode that's on this Thursday. How about I tell you Thursday? How about I just be general about it and say, it's a fucking great episode, because they're all great episodes. Did that sound confident? It's not like me, is it? So David Huntsberger, who you're going to hear in a minute, um, like he grew up, I don't, I don't even want to tip it. You know, I'm just going to tell you this. I'm not a horse guy, don't like horses. Not my thing. I don't know if it's a Jewish thing. I don't know if it's a, just a, a human thing. But uh, I went to camp when I was a kid. I went to uh, Brush Ranch in Pecos, New Mexico. And that was the kind of camp where uh, my parents sent me. It was a non-Jewish thing. And I, you know, I don't need to be specific, but I think it's important to be specific in these situations. There are Jewish camps where Jewish kids go with different degrees of discomfort and basic crafts and whatnot. But this was not one of those camps. This was a, this was a, a, a non-Jewish camp. It, it wasn't advertised that way, but it didn't cater to uh, the delicate um, sensibilities of Jewish kids. Uh, so what you had to do when you went to Brush Ranch is you had to buy yourself a Stetson. These were required. These were on the list. You had to have a Stetson hat. You had to have a cowboy hat. You had to have a fly fishing rod with a f fly wheel. God, I'm stuttering. And you had to have boots. You had to have cowboy boots to go to this camp. And that's because when you went to Brush Ranch, you, you, were, you were expected to ride horses and also to fly fish and also to shoot guns, both shotguns and 22s. So this is a secret part of my life, but I did those things. And I think I have an apology to make. I do think I have an apology to make. It just dawned on me. So I show up at Brush Ranch with my hat, and then there was a guy there who was the counselor in charge of horses. His name was Gil, and he was a little scary. Uh, he had his own horse there, and that was a female horse. And I think this is one of those times where you learned about sex. I must have been 13 or 14 years old. His female horse, Gills, was in heat. And the horse in the stall next to Gills wanted to fuck Gills' horse really bad. And that was the first time we saw a horse's cock. And that's something you don't forget because they're huge. And there's no way to recover from that. But that's not really what I want to talk about. So 
I get there and you get assigned a horse. So I was assigned this horse. I think the horse's name was Mums. Now, Mums was an old horse, and I think this was anti-Semitic now that I think about it. I think it was Gil having a, a good time with the city boy from Albuquerque, like that even makes sense. The Jew, maybe I'm being a little martyry right now. Maybe it wasn't even the case. But Mum was this old, fucked-up horse that was bitter, that did not want to be ridden. And we had to learn how to saddle these horses. So you had to saddle it and pull the thing down. I don't remember. I might be able to do it in a pinch. Like, if I had to, if, like, all right, everything's on fire, there's some horses, damn, they need a saddle. I bet you it would come back to me. Whether I would have the courage to get on the horse, don't know that for sure. But I'd have to assume if I was in survival mode, I would fucking ride like uh, like the Lone Ranger. I wish I had a better reference. All right, so I got this horse, trying to figure out how to saddle this horse. And this horse reaches around and bites my side. Bites my fucking side. And you know what? That marked the end of my experience with horses because there was no, it was a nightmare. And and I could not saddle the horse because it would always bite me. And it's paralyzing. It's a paralyzing fear right now. Right now I'm feeling it. Because let's be honest, horses are like dinosaurs. They're huge. They're bigger than me anyways. And uh, people are always like, well, you just, you don't, you just have to, you know, not show fear. How is that possible? You don't think that the horse can sense my 13 or 14 year old fear after it's bitten me and made purple marks. Horses are not my thing. I rode, but I bounced. It was hard to get a gallop going. I never fell off a horse, but I was never comfortable on a horse. And I think all of you need to know that about me. So what's the amends I have to make? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what that is. There was this dorky kid named Jeff. This is a sad thing, but it was pretty hilarious. All right, there was this kid named Jeff who, who come from Texas you know, he comes from a, you know, rich Texas family. He thought he was a real cowboy, but he was this, you know, kid that was a little too arrogant. And, you know, look, I, you know, I didn't come up with this. This was not my idea. All right. But I did go along with it. So that makes me part of the bullying process. Okay. All right, Jeff, if you're listening to this, this this is a heartfelt amends. Let me see if I can frame it correctly. All right, you know how when we were at Brush Ranch and we, we had to load, load our own shotgun shells? Well, we had to do that. We had to load our own shells uh, to shoot skeet. And, you know, we had a counselor. I, I'm going to call him Mike because, well, I want to protect him. But his name was Mike. So Mike would show us how to load him up. You had this machine where you, you'd fill it with, uh, I think the powder went in first, and then the plastic piece, and then the buckshot. It wasn't buckshot, but it was shot. Uh, it was smaller ones, and then you were you sealed the top of the shell. So Jeff was really annoying. We all hated. Him. He was cocky and stupid, and and you know he just annoyed everybody. He was just horrible. And um, we loaded him a double shot of in a in a shotgun shell. Like there was no pellets in it. It was just all gunpowder. So the kick was going to be pretty bad. So somehow or another, you know, we we were able to get him that shell when we were shooting skeet, and we were just all waiting. We were all waiting for Jeff to shoot the double-loaded shell at the skeet and be knocked on his ass. And sure enough, Jeff goes, pull, and he, and he took his shot and ended up on the ground. It just went boom and knocked him right over. It was hilarious for about three seconds until he started crying, and then we all felt bad. And I, I'm sorry, man. That was a shitty thing to do. You were in good form, though. You were in good form. I, you probably would have hit that, that clay pigeon hadn't it been for us laughing briefly. And then feeling bad for what we did. So we're all sorry. I'm going to speak for the the group of us, Jeff. We're sorry. All right? 
and also, I guess to close this up, just so you know this about me, uh, I can uh, I can tie a fly. It's another thing I learned to brush ranch. These are all very practical things for when I got to go off the grid. I can ride a horse if necessary and saddle it as long as it doesn't bite me and sense my fear. Uh, I know how to load shotgun shells and and shoot skeet and miss primarily. But I, I think it's just the effect of having a gun is usually all you need. Uh, and also, like if I'm if I'm pushed to the wall, I can t- I can tie a pretty effective fly and catch trout in a stocked pond if you throw food pellets around where you cast your line. So I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, let's talk to David Huntsberger. David Huntsberger. That's right. I don't, I don't, I don't really know you. No, we don't. <laughs> but I keep seeing you around, and you know, you, you seem like a smart guy and a funny guy, and you do a <laughs> podcast with Tig, <laughs> Professor Blastoff. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know each other. Where the hell ton. do you come from, man? How old are you? What the, now you are you a child? No, I'm 34. Really? Yeah, I'm an adult. How long have you been doing stand up? 12 years. Wow. Well, not quite 12, almost 12. Yeah. Yeah, I started uh open mics in 2002. Where? I started at the Comedy Store in San Diego initially and then uh moved to Austin a couple years in. Austin, <clears throat> Texas. Yep. And that that's where then Why'd I Why'd you do that? Um I don't know. I would then I would tell people that um you know I was working a lot in San Diego. It was way more expensive and I didn't feel like I was getting to devote enough time to one the lazy life I wanted and then more than that to like focus on comedy. So Where were you working then? I substitute taught thinking like day one of comedy. Well, I'm going to need some free time at the drop of a hat if I get some gigs, not knowing. I've known a couple of substitute teachers. Todd Berry used to be a substitute teacher. Oh, yeah? Uh Uh-huh. It it was good for me because you have to develop this fake persona of like confidence in front of a room, which I wasn't naturally- With children. With children. How old were they? I did every single grade. So kindergarten up through 12th graders. Really? Yeah. Kids and drunk adults are not that dissimilar. (laughs) You know, like there's- I imagine drunk adults, you probably have a better shot at managing. Man, maybe. There's a threshold. Like fifth graders I found to be really great. They don't have any pompous. How old is that? That's like 10, I think. Oh, yeah? Yeah. They're, they're not, the hormones aren't kicking in yet, but they're, when they're younger, they, they don't mean any harm. They just can't follow instructions. They're, they're, you know, the ability to pay attention is so limited uh-huh. that they just wander off and they go, hey, hey, where are you going? Yeah. And uh, once they get about 10, they know that they're supposed to sit in their chair or they're no, not supposed to get up and wander off. But what did you do? You went to college for teaching? No, I went to college f- and got a degree in uh, engineering. What does that mean? I, this, it's a strange story. I, I was on the rodeo team in high school. All right, hold on, back up. Yeah. It, 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 wait, wait, wait. This all so, ties in. Uh, but yeah, let's back but up. But wait. Okay. All right, so rodeo team engineering, substitute teaching comedy, Austin. All right, where'd you grow up, man? Reno, well, like 15 miles north of Reno, Nevada. Really? Mm-hmm. How the, why, why there? What kind of sordid business? So my your... parents met in New Mexico. They went to college there. I grew up in New Mexico. I, I did know that. I, I, uh, did some I watched the show. No, I've, I've seen the first season of the show. I liked it. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, it was good. And, um... They they met in college at University then, of New Mexico, uh, New Mexico State down in Las Cruces. Las Cruces, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. And my uh, my I was there a while ago and saw some of like their old college friends. Well, it was probably like five or six in years Las ago. Cruces. In Las Cruces, they're yeah. still down there. Their college friends. People don't leave 
They, Las Cruces. They, they said never, this is it. Yeah, they said we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna settle in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Yeah. Oh my God! It has some pretty qualities. There's a rock outcropping I enjoyed. Well, it's like southern New Mexico. There's some stuff down there. It's not too far from White Sands or Carlsbad Caverns. I think you can. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like some of the landscape is sort of Texan in a way. Oh, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, okay, Cruces is all right. It's a real city. Yeah, and not a, uh, that's uh, that's an overstatement. It, you know, it's it's a thing. It's got that, uh, there's like a dairy or something there you have to drive through that's just... Creamland Dairy, maybe? There's a dairy? A dairy. It might be a slaughterhouse, but it's a lot of cattle, and oh, yeah. it is, it's a feedlot for sure, but it is, it's, it smells the whole town up, so, so that's what I think of Las, Las Cruces. The stink. The stink of Las Cruces. Not far from, you know, where atom bombs were uh, conceived or, or tested yeah. anyways. So, all right, so they meet there. And what's your old yeah. man? What did what do they do? What's what, what? so my mom had been um, like a, a li- done a little bit of rodeo type stuff, barrel racing that sort of thing. But she was actually getting her degree in like animal science. Hold on a second. Your mom had done a little barrel racing. <laughs> ro- you, you kind of throw that away, like you know, like stuff moms do, barrel racing, some rodeo stuff. Yeah, yeah. And she. So you come from horse people. Kind, yeah, kind of. My dad though was born and raised in Los Angeles or, or like the Camarillo area. Yeah. And I think was one of those guys that uh, had an affinity for like the cowboy lifestyle and then went to college and got a degree in like range management. And then after college got offered a job. Range management. Yeah. There's a, that's a thing. Like a can, rancher. Yep. So that, well, of course that's a job. That that means like, you know, let's say you got a herd or two, mm-hmm. got a certain amount of land. Yeah. You've got certain lots that they can go and into and out of. Uh, yeah. You got certain gates you got to keep open and closed. You got to make sure <laughs> wells are working. You got to make yeah. sure there's hay and whatever uh, you're feeding the thing. It, it yeah. could be several different kinds of animals. Yeah, my dad's real good with knowing like uh, different types of plants and yeah, how many animals you can have at a certain amount of water if a spring or a well is giving off however many. Cubic oh, he can feet. he can test how many gallons are coming out versus how many cows are going to drink it and what each cow will drink. Maybe I, I don't know. I, I haven't really seen him do too much, but I do know walking. You haven't through. seen the hands-on <laughs> range management uh, expertise of your father. You no, don't have sadly, that, that I was bond. Like, we never will like when we go fishing. He'll point out like that's this type of bush. That's about the most I've seen of it. I'm like, oh, this guy knows the name of bushes, but beyond that <laughs> can you eat it or not <laughs> will we be eating that my dad uh got a job offer to uh be a foreman of a ranch like 50 miles north of reno and so he and my mom moved out to where the mailbox was like 10 miles away i mean there's nothing it's just a long dirt road and this ranch back in there and so i spent the first three years of my life there and then they got divorced and we trickled down into Reno, and then Reno is like I, I've never been there, but in my my mind and in my heart, the one or two times I was there, it felt like a morally bankrupt place. Yeah, it's hard for me to. Am I wrong? May see like there's people in Reno going to take that personally. Maybe it isn't. It's just like it's not Vegas. Yeah, I, it's uh, it's sort of like uh, I don't know. It seems like the next stop over. <laughs> yeah, it 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 has a charm. It has a personality, and people. There's an old Reno that's great. I mean, everything that Colorado is sort of revered for, of like biking and mountains and lakes and all, there's all of that there. People, whatever you'd want to find outdoorsy, it's there. Nevada's beautiful. 
it's gorgeous. It's like 4,500 feet there. It's at the foothills of the Sierras. And it is cowboy country. Yeah. I mean, you know, like there's a certain type of cowboy that comes out of, I think, California, Nevada, Colorado. I mean, they're Oklahoma cowboys. Yeah. Texas cowboys. But there's definitely a real ranch, you know, oriented, you know, right. real American cowboy up there. I was in Iowa Wyoming. once and I saw these guys come in with like spurs on their boots and I was like, Pfft. You don't even have hills here. Like we, we used to like ride our horses over really rocky, dangerous stuff. You did? Yeah, yeah. I, I spent a lot of my like high school years doing ranch work and stuff. And so what? Yeah, like it, it's pretty. Uh, Was that the one the the rodeo club times? That's where it came in. Yeah, I. Uh, it, I I always roped. You know, like just branding calves and things like Whoa, that. You branded? Yeah, branded and all that. And uh, well, wait, 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 wait. So, all right, so wait, all right. So, you, you, your dad's a ranch engineer, a ranch. Uh, what is it? Uh, he was like the foreman of that. But ranch. What was the name? What was his? Oh, oh uh, a range management. Range management. Yeah. And your mother was a a, a rodeo barrel racer. Yeah. Is, that, is it a race? A barrel race? What she, is it? Yeah, barrel? she was a barrel racer. A barrel racer. Yeah. On the horse, whipping around those barrels. Whipping around the barrels. Her parents used to let her when she was like fifteen just take off with the truck and trailer and a CB radio. And just head off to rodeos and she would compete and she had this horse that was kind of like a wonderkind of of barrel racing horses. If you left barrels in a corral, he would just race them on his own. He just really So this is your, your pedigree is, you know, uh, you know uh, livestock and agriculture people and, and uh, horses. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So you, you your parents divorce. Mm-hmm. You go to Reno. Yeah. With your mom. With my mom through... And then we moved to Lemon Valley, which is north of Reno. It's 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 so strange. It's our address had Reno on it, so I never associated being in like a small town. But it was like one stoplight, uh, a general store, a school, and some houses. When did your mom decide like we gotta get this kid on a horse? Was that something that that was a that was a no brainer for her? Like at oh some yeah point? yeah. When I was like one, there are pictures of me being led around on the back of a horse, and then it when- was important to them. It just was what they did. You know, they had horses and... You had horses as a child. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with horses. And then as we moved into the city more and neither of my parents made a ton of money, we were like those people that had horses, but it was a struggle. You know, we were always trying to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Always figuring out ways to like fix fences or come up with feed for cheap and stuff like that. That's a sad time. Ah, It was fine. I mean, I'm sure for them it was a lot more of a struggle. Did you ever have to put, put a horse down? Yeah, my that barrel racing horse that ran the barrels of my mom's. The, the amazing horse. Yeah. Got he, older. Uh, got real old and angry. He would just like try to attack people. Like anything old usually. Yeah, and <laughs> it was not fun to... Have you ever seen that happen? I mean... What, to a horse? To just an animal in general. Where they get really old and they're just like... They look like little old people and they're just mad. You can see all their bones. Yeah, they were just mad. Their so eyes out, real sunken. So it, because it was so well cared for, it probably outlived... It's expectancy. Yeah. And it knew it. It's like, I should be dead. Oh, absolutely. I think he's just like, I can't, there's nothing I can do in here to end it myself. So who had to take, uh, put it on, put it down? Uh, my mom called a vet out. And oh, he then, did that way. Yeah. Just. For some reason, in my mind, shot. I thought I just wanted to, I, I pictured you shooting a horse. No, I, that almost happened once. My dad had an older horse. Like, so my mom's college horse was that one, or, yeah. you know, younger horse. My, and then I learned to ride on both of these horses and my dad had one that a few years later was in the same shape, just grossly, you know, bony and ugly. And yeah. the vet came out and gave him a shot. Yeah. And we thought like, oh, it's going to boost him up. He'll be back. He'll be all healthy again. Yeah. And then the horse, my dad and I were out on the porch. He started walking through a ditch 
And then he started to go up the other side. There's maybe like a foot, a foot and a half of water. And his knees got all wobbly and he fell over backwards into the water. Yeah. Oh, and he so broke I ran thing. out there. No, I, I, he just, his head was underwater. Oh my God. So I ran out, jump in the water and lift his head up. And this is the craziest thing. It should have been really traumatic. Yeah. I was probably like 16 or 17. The horse just goes, <gasps> and I see his eye roll over sees me along the way but just like rolls back in his head and then dead just this horse i'd like learned to ride on just laying there in your lap yeah his head yeah but not in not in a weird traumatic way it it wasn't even that impactful emotionally my dad came out he was holding a gun thought he was gonna have to like shoot him and he just looked at me he's like are you okay i was like yeah i think i'm fine with this it was way easier to see that than the shot uh the needle you know that my other horse had to do or my mom's horse because you had to sit there with the horse as it died yeah, it's just Do you weird. get emotionally uh, connected to these animals? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a weird thing where you know, horses, you spend so much time with them and on them, and yeah. it's quiet out there that you know they'll a rabbit will jump or something, and they move, and you just kind of move with them, or you, you sense their body language, and there's definitely a connection. Between you and your animal. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a symbi- symbiotic. Yeah. yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I, I, I always enjoyed that about like the Native American sort of, their ability with horses. It, I'm sure a lot of people would think that was weird spiritual nonsense, but yeah. th- there's definitely something there. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, what more than uh, you know, twitching? What do you, What do you feel like when you get to um, know a horse? Because I, you know, I, I, I was petrified of horses because mm-hmm. I went to a camp and I for a couple of years with a horse, and they're just too big, mm-hmm. and they sensed my fear. And I didn't know how to to navigate a relationship with them or take control of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine since you were around them uh, for so long, that it was sort of second nature. You never thought like, well, this horse is going to get the best of me necessarily. Yeah, I started so I had a a horseshoeing business out of college. I did it through college as well to just make money putting shoes on horses. Where'd you go to college? Where there this was business was something you could do. I went to Fort Collins, which is in mm, uh, Colorado. Yeah, yeah. You and, had a shoeing uh, business yeah. while you were in college. Yeah, I was working at this Italian place, and uh, and what does that mean, an Italian place? Like making paninis. Oh, okay. and I was making no money and having, and I wasn't getting enough time to study. And then I was like, someone needed a horse shod, and I was like, I can make fifty or sixty bucks in like an hour or two, as opposed to when I'm waking here in a week. So I just like put an ad out and started going around and doing that. How do you do that? I, but you know, like the thrifty nickel things like that. Do you no, but that? how do you how do you shod horses? Oh, I you know my dad uh, when I was younger, his back wasn't too great, so yeah. I'd watch him struggle with it, and then I'm like, just let me help you. So when I was like 14, he kind of gave me some pointers and showed me how to do it, and then. But you you like I'm picturing a blacksmith making the shoe. You can buy the shoe, or did you actually yeah. hammer out the shoe? You bought the. I've shoe. done both. I, as I got into it more, I I bought a forge and like could. You know, blacksmith you the shoes a little bit. Really? Not from bar stock. Like a yeah. lot of people do that. Sh- but I would buy, yeah, like just kind of blank shoes. And yeah. then, you know, you just tweak Shape them a little them. bit. Yeah. But you're in college. Yeah. So, so yeah, this. So I I start shoeing horses. The, the end of that story is that I, I was working for a guy in, when I moved to San Diego after college. And I went into a pen and just the horse turned its butt to me. Yeah. And I just shoved it away yeah which is a standard kind of a horse move but yeah. if you didn't know horses that would look really weird like, yeah and he he was just kind of like oh all right you can work for me you kind of know what you're doing what, wait what this was in san diego yeah but wait let's get back to the you're, you're like i'm done making sandwiches yeah 
might as well put an ad in the paper to you know shoe horses. Yeah, there were enough horses in the Fort Collins area. Yeah, San Diego was the best. Colorado, they're all spread out. It's everyone owns some. Like, I just want to know yard. where you set up. Were you in a dorm room? Yeah, Did you, have an, you were in a dorm. I room. would drag my anvil like up into the room. No, you 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 lying? I'm dead serious. And then I had a pickup truck, and I'd when I got a call, Did you I'd have a take roommate? all my gear. Yeah. You had a roommate. I had a roommate. And you were the guy who had an anvil and you're hammering horseshoes. Yeah. And he's what? Smoking weed? He, What's he doing? He lived in Colorado Springs. He worked at Red Lobster. So we were both bringing terrible smells into that room. Him smelling like, you know, cooked fish. fish. And you're smelling like horses. Yeah. But you got an anvil. Yeah. And you're like, are you going to be, can I, are you studying? Because I need to hammer out, <laughs> need to pound some horseshoes. Oh, I wouldn't be pounding anything in the room. That's all on site. Oh, so you so, br- oh, you just brought the anvil out of the truck because you wanted no one to take it? Exactly, yeah. Steal your anvil. You, that was your college I concern. got an anvil stolen in, in my life that like my, my great-grandfather had given to my uncle who gave to me and someone Anvils stole are it. passed down in families? Abs- well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, because no one needs them. So my, I'm sure my uncle was like, I'm going to give you this. But in his head, he's like, thank God I can get rid of this. It's just it's a big a, piece of metal. It's just weight, yeah. It's just it's this giant piece of weight. So you lost your, your family anvil? Mm-hmm. Because someone it was, took it. It was a big deal. Like it was something that my dad and I were like, "We'll never tell anyone." We <laughs> yeah, we could not share this. <laughs> Who was there to tell? My uncle. My <laughs> my dad thought my uncle was gonna. I don't know what he would have done, but we were both scared. Like this is a family keepsake, and you lost it. You irresponsible. Did you child. cry? I drove back to where I thought it had been and, and like knocked on doors. I Asking. went around to strangers. Have you seen an anvil laying around out here? In the street, uh-huh. and they were like, "No, I think I would know that if I saw an anvil." And but that was important. It. Absolutely, yeah. I was so mad. I I don't. I hate losing things, and especially something that had you know the heirloom anvil. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> our one family thing. All right, so you got your anvil in your dorm room, and and so you're you got a truck. You bought a pickup. You grew up yeah. with pickups. Grew up with pickup trucks. Yeah. See, I, it's weird. Like I, I I didn't know you, and I you know, and I you know I didn't know. Uh, you know, I've seen some of your comedy, and, and we've talked briefly here and there, and uh, no idea. There's no yeah. idea. I, w- I thought you were like David Steinberg or something. You were like this, uh, you know, smart, you know, do kind of straight up stand up, not too much uh, goofiness, mm-hmm. just uh, intelligent jokes. And now we're talking about heirloom anvils. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, everyone probably runs into this, but people always tell you who you are. They go, oh, you, yeah, I'm you're sure. You're one of those guys. Oh, yeah. They could never yeah. quite label me. You're you're the angry guy. You're the neurotic guy. You're right. the guy. I don't know why I am. Yeah, but I But certainly... I didn't think you were the horse guy. No, and I kind of liked that, that when I saw, like, the blue collar thing become so popular, I thought, like, Jeff Fox really worked at IBM. They, yeah. There's no way he's done as much blue collar stuff as I have, but I just... I, but, okay, so you made sound... You rode... You roped. Yeah, let's go back to this roping business. Mm-hmm. Where'd you learn how to rope? So, I mean, you you know, you could go into a Western store, mm-hmm. but not just like, you know, a shirt and boots place. Yeah. But a place that, you know, sells grain and, and ropes. Right. And you'd be like, yeah, not this one. I like, this is a good one. This has a good feel. Yeah. To it. It's got a good weight to it. Yeah, yeah. There's three eighths and five sixteenths and then different lengths. So and it's hard on your I'm a I rope right handed, so like your left hand's holding all the coils. That's weird I do too. Yeah, generally when I'm roping, (laughs) I rope right handed. You rope right handed? Yeah, I do. We could team up then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we have a different definition of roping. (laughs) Uh, yeah, my dad made me rope a bucket, I think thirty times in a row, and then I could like get on a horse and try it out. 
And then uh, when I was probably like 12 or 13, I got decent at it. And then- uh, and Then most, you started roping calves? Yeah. Then, then, you know, being out, like you go out to doctor calves. So it's like, well, we got to give them some medicine. So then it was just chasing them down and roping them. And, so and, you can just like fucking ride right next to a running cow yeah. and rope it and yeah. then pull it and then you jump off. Well, it's not like in the rodeo, you know, like in out, if you're in a pasture and there was a sick calf, they're not running at full speed most of the time, every yeah. now and again they are, but they're sick. So a lot of times they, they're just dogged. And so then you rope them and kind of slow them down gently, yeah. hop off your horse quietly, yeah. and kind of work the rope down and, you know, get them on their side and stuff. So it's not as quick and aggressive as you'd see in the rodeo. All right, so you have a symbiotic relationship with a horse and you've had, you've owned, how many horses have you had in your lifetime? I there have been a lot that have come in and out of my possession, yeah. but uh, as far as like ones that I paid for and actually owned, I I owned one when I was twelve until I was twenty, and then I had another one kind of concurrently with that that I still technically own, but my dad looks after her. She's still around. Yeah, she's only twenty, so she. Uh, How I got, long do they live? They live to be about thirty. Really, horses to thirty? Yeah, really, mm-hmm. and they're still functioning at twenty. Yeah, I roped on her at a branding last year, and she, you know, she was fine. So that's what you do when you go see your dad. I hadn't in a while, and it felt good to kind of get back to that. Oddly, you know, because I've lived in LA, I've kind of become this sort of like, guys, be gentle, be easy. Uh, you know, there's a part of me that looks at it like this is so archaic. Why don't we just use like blow darts and knock them down? And uh-huh. and then you know, you start doing it and realize like their threshold for pain and and all of that is is way higher they pop up and just shake it off and and walk off well, yeah and, that was my question so some you know horses you you build a relationship with cows are stupid right cows i've i always go back and forth on there was once where a friend of mine and i i worked on this ranch where we drove cows way up in the mountains and lived like 20 miles away from phones or tv for like the uh-huh. whole summer yeah and uh at one point we had to gather a bunch of cows in this meadow and just kind of let them settle and hey so we we're just sitting there like doing tricks off the back of our horses like on the saddle and all of a sudden this little calf came over and just kind of started sniffing and letting us pet him and stuff yeah it was unsettling yeah it was like he got it that calf (laughs) like hey i know i'm not supposed to cross these boundaries but fuck that man (laughs) great yeah so then i like i had a hard time after that thinking like oh that calf's gonna be one of them the rest i don't care about so much i think if you open the gate and let them go wild They'd be killed immediately by yeah. other predators. <laughs> but I felt so bad for this little one. The gifted that, calf. Right. The special one. <laughs> the one that gets it. He gets it, man. It's the goodwill hunting of these calves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the branding thing. So you, you went back up a year ago. You've been living in LA how long? Five years. And your dad, like he wears a hat. Do you put a cowboy hat on when you? Yeah, I own a hat. I like wearing it, you know, but I. You don't wear it here. No, I. Where do you keep it? At my house, I have like a little hat rack I made and put it on there. So you made a hat rack. Do you have? An, do, you have do you currently own an anvil? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> but again, it stays at my dad's, so I don't. I don't have it here in L.A. Uh, yeah, your but, dad is where up uh, outside of Reno still. Yeah, he lives about thirty miles east of there now. So you go see your dad. You guys get along well. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 at a good spot. We've gone through our trials and tribulations, but we what get were those about? Well. Um, you know. Uh, same old stuff as everybody like his substance abuse those sorts of things what so, was your substance that was him it was, it was just oh, him yeah. him drinking and oh know. really yeah so we kind of it's i don't know if you do this in your life but i find people that have similar behaviors where like that you ha- grew up with yeah that, oh, like, yeah that's all we do 
That's all everyone does, right? Yeah, it's, but you know, it's like the trick is, is like, you know, here's the, the, the fucked up thing about that is that once you're aware of that, mm-hmm. like you, you, you realize that like, well, the reason I can't meet a normal person is that it d- doesn't even register. What's going <laughs> to register is this bullshit I came from. Right. So then you have to meet somebody who who actually is symbiotic with you in that bullshit and hope that they're mindful enough to want to do it differently. <laughs> so it's just like when you meet somebody and you're like, this feels great, that's that's the last time that'll feel great. Because you're like, all right, this is, you know, this is real, so now we start working on it. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> so, you know, within a week, you're like, all right, that was the honeymoon phase, and now let's hammer this shit out because you're triggering all kinds of stuff in me. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just well, dealing with that now. I waited a long time, though, before being in a relationship, and I went through a lot of like, maybe he's just gay, or maybe he's asexual, or putting those things like being afraid to invite anyone in or being afraid to put all that on them and now my girlfriend she comes from like a cartoonishly well-adjusted you thought family. you were gay no no other people would you know oh, you show yeah. up to family events year after year with never bringing anyone home they'd be like all right buddy we you, get it yeah you know, you're okay it's okay you know, yeah don't don't bring it around here but we'll accept you yeah and i was just like well, i'm fine with that but, but you were just shut down yeah i just when i you know a lot of high school you know not wanting to bring anyone home so i spent i just like oh why was that bad it was pretty bad yeah it just was we lived in a tiny house and uh with, with this, just your dad or he have a woman at that time too just my dad yeah it's just my dad but so like, what was he like uh angry drunk or just un- yeah just pick at you that sort of stuff you know just what, from a table with a drink or from a chair it'd start at the table and then we we'd sit down and watch tv and he'd be in one sort of recliner chair and i'd be in another yeah. and then you just feel the head turn toward you yeah like, oh boy here yeah, it comes. yeah yeah and then and what was it it would just be sometimes it would just be the staring and then you think you're pretty good don't you oh that stuff, yeah stuff yeah. like that oh, so yeah, i yeah. still now on occasion i would never lay this on my dad i don't think it's him but you know would like self-esteem things be like is it okay to feel all, yeah i feel all right this yeah. is okay <laughs> i don't think i'm yeah. i don't think i'm too cool do i you but well, that's interesting though so did you find yourself involved with people that picked on you I just wouldn't let anyone in. I just was hardly ever involved with anyone at a level where, like, I would share anything like that, you know? Out so, of fear. Fear and then just being picky also. Just being kind of like, I I don't feel like I met anyone that really... Well, when you get a t- assaulted by, you know, a, a drunk dad emotionally, it has an effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they, they know it's going to hurt you over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And you just learn how to sort of callous to it. Yeah. And that callous be, is what you walk through life with. <laughs> you know, you just assume someone's going to come at you. Oh, you think you're all that, huh? You yeah. Know, like, no, no. I'm just, yeah. It, it, there is something to that that I... Yeah. I, I let that callous go down, I think, quite a bit. And then when Tig was diagnosed with cancer, I was feeling things a lot more than I had in a long time. Like, oh, I'd let it kind of open up a little bit. It's an amazing I, moment. Yeah, it's really... I almost missed the callous. Like, ah, oh, this... Oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. But it's also, uh, you know, it, it it shows that you you know you care and that your heart is functioning properly. You know, the other the other option is just to feel, and if you've shut down the feelings long enough, mm-hmm. you know, all you can do is cry for the weird reasons. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like you, you know, like, <laughs> as soon as you don't do all the things that you're used to, and someone's coming at you with with real pain or real emotion, you're just like, I don't know why this is happening, but I think it's good. I think I'm crying now. <laughs> It's good, right? This is good. This yeah. is what normal things yeah. feel like. Yeah, it's crying. I'm, crying. I'm not yelling. I'm not running away. I'm just crying. <laughs> so when Tig yeah. got cancer, you felt? Yeah, I felt a little bit like 
exactly that. Like, oh, this this is normal. This is probably how should, most people should process this. Yeah, and, yeah. It's okay. You can handle it. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't like someone was going to pop out like, are you crying, you pussy? Well, you guys like were, were pretty close. I mean, were you, were you guys doing the podcast every week and you were friends? I mean, how'd that yeah. podcast come about, the blast off? Um, how do you know we, her? Well, we lived together. I met her at Last Comic Standing in 2006. And then I lived in Austin then and when she would come through, her and Martha Kelly were yeah. doing uh, the Crackpot tour and uh-huh. they, you know, check in with me, see if I want to be on the show or we'd go out and have a meal. I think the second time they came through town with it, they stayed at my house. Uh-huh. And so it's just one of those, when I'd be here in LA, I'd you know have dinner with her or something. And at some point she, I was opening for her at, uh, she, she knew I skied. So she invited me to Idaho and we were in this little kind of bar uh, just chatting about this and that. Yeah. And uh, I was doing a lot of material. I guess I kind of always have about, like, you know, God and science and uh-huh. robots and things. And so, like, I think that'd be a good podcast. And she was like, I, I do too. And Kyle really likes that idea. She And he lived with her too, right? They're Dunnigan? just real close. Oh. Yeah, Dunnigan's just real close with her. So she sent him a text and said, would you want to do that? And he said, yeah. And then... She knew, uh, you know, Scott and Jeff at Earwolf. And, and I mean, how, I knew Scott as well, but... He, how, how often do you do Professor Blast stuff? Once a week? Once a week, yeah. It comes out every Tuesday. And uh-huh. um, we've been doing it, you know, uh, two and a half years now, I think. Well, okay. So let's go back to... Let's go back. All right. So you got your... You uh, you go to high school. You're roping. So like when you get... Is your dad still drinking? Yeah, he still is. Um, it's weird. He's kind of gotten into a level now where he's... I will never drink with him just out of principle, just yeah. out of a lifetime of like, I trust you now. I feel like you are a guy that can have a couple beers, but yeah. I still, it's just, don't, it's too don't much. Don't let your guard down. Yeah, yeah. And it, I, it's got to feel horrible for him. Like, oh, my own son, I can't even sit down and have like a couple beers with, but I just feel like, <laughs> you blew it. <laughs> so. Did you ever have a physical fight with him? No, I, my sister told me once that my dad was like kind of preparing for that though. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like, I think I'm going to have to fight him. <laughs> and I will. <laughs> he's training? Yeah, I don't know how he was, what he was doing, drinking more, but uh, I never wanted to fight him. Uh, but yeah, it was. It seemed like kind of like it might get hostile a couple times. Because you're trying to, you know, find your own way. And at some point you yeah. have to stand up to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, it was just, I lived, I'd, I'd lived with my mom going into high school and then once high school came I, I decided to go live with my dad and, we, and so I lived far away from all my friends I lived like on the opposite end of town it's just me and my dog out there basically and then I had these horses and I got a job riding horses for this guy that was really wealthy which was great he had these riding them yeah just exercising his horses so he had really nice horses he sit horses. there and watch you that's it no, he was like five feet tall uh-huh. and a millionaire. Yeah. So weird dynamic there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he would he would come over and hike up the stirrups or put on a new saddle with shorter stirrups, uh-huh. and then he'd ride the horse. And so that I kept my mind on that a lot. You know, I was my horse at the time was real young, so I was kind of starting her out. And then I'd oddly gotten hired by a few guys around town to like break their horses. So I was like kind of a bronco buster for a while. And really, yeah. So I could kind of like just put my effort into that and. I didn't come home after school usually and like hang out with my friends. I I played sports, so I would I like practice. You'd take but... a you know warm bath and just sort of like <laughs> you know you know put some uh, uh, like tiger balm on. I mean, yeah, just let it all come to me, man. Well, no, but I mean it's like it's got to beat you up. They didn't buck that much. I mean, it really, no. and as a kid, you know, it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't yeah. You almost want that to happen, but 
<laughs> for the most part, they're just it's gentle. A, compa- you're like talking about Mars to me. It's, it's, you're like, you almost want that to happen. No, I, not, <laughs> frankly, it's a, no, uh, no, no. It's a fun feeling. Like when a horse really wants you off of it and you stay on, it's yeah. a very much like, now are you going to listen to me? And then you're, you're friends after Maybe, that. Maybe, do you bring a little of that to your new relationship? <laughs> I gotta let her know straight away. <laughs> You're not getting out from under me. Yeah, now. yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride. I'm staying on. <laughs> I'm gonna stay in the saddle no matter what. <laughs> but uh, all right. So where does comedy come into this, man? Yeah. So that all started with like the reason I moved to Austin. What? Well, I just always liked comedy. You know, you my moved sister, to Austin from San Diego. But from you moved, San Diego. But you moved to San Diego for what? For horses. My sister had been living there and I'd, I'd done a little research and saw they had a comedy club and thought like, well, the weather's definitely warmer than Colorado. It's pretty close to LA. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start there and kind of get my feet under me. So it wasn't about just, horses? Not necessarily, I mean, no. you got into just, horses in San Diego too? Yeah. And everyone there, it's like a status symbol. So they all keep their horses in one place. It's just stables. Yeah. So that was great. I'd just drive to one spot. And shoe them? Shoe, you know, as many as I could get my hands What's on. What's something like then, that pay? Um, You know... I I would for, to shoe a horse for there's all kinds of different you know the corrective shoeing and but for four flat shoes uh, back then I think I was charging like eighty bucks and how 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 often do they need new shoes every six weeks to two months okay so you get a steady yeah you get to know those people and when I left to get Austin to know the horses you get to know the horses a lot there were some you know. It's weird now to live in Los Angeles and not really have that because that was a good job regardless of what you're doing you're you're helping animals, which felt great. Yeah. And then at the end, you shake someone's hand and get a check and go, okay, see you later. It's yeah. a very like uh, wholesome endeavor. Yeah, it's earnest. It's an honest buck. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I like that. I really thought, you know, they can see your work right there too. Yeah, you know, yeah. they look down and go, that nail's pretty horrible. Yeah. Oh, right. like, Ooh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I apprenticed for some guys there. I'd always kind of gone into it in Colorado. Like, I know what I'm doing. I worked yeah. on ranches. Yeah. And then you come to find out like ranch shoers are the utilitarian. They're like right, the right. hacky road comic right. of shoers. Right. Their shoes probably won't last six weeks. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of. Yeah. To your troubleshooting all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I worked for these apprentices or these guys that were really good. One guy wasn't anyway, and he taught me a lot of tricks. So then I went to Austin thinking like, they got to have tons of horses down there, but Texas is so spread out. Yeah. I would have ended up driving. It was so hot that I, I never did any shoeing down there. So you I, go, okay. So you went to San Diego to do a little comedy, but you knew, yeah. you know, you were, your, your business was sort of shoeing horses. You knew how to do that. And they had yeah. that there, so that was good. That was your day job. You didn't yeah. have to make go to the Italian place. And you're doing stand up at the La Jolla Comedy Store. Mm-hmm. Dark little fucking hole that is. Yeah, and I wasn't feeling, you know, I mean, it was a good scene. I liked. All the, I'm still friends with some of the people, but I didn't feel artistically challenged a lot of the time. I just felt like it was people trying to tell the same joke at a louder volume than right. the previous person. That's the comedy store style. <laughs> it seemed Bully that way. through it. Yeah, and I. I and, and you know, and it being expensive and all that, but I, I, it seemed weird to me that LA was just up the street, and I, I knew I wasn't really where I wanted to be, and I thought Austin, I could kind of go get my bearings and still shoe some horses. Yeah, yeah, it was like a good, um, I don't know what you would call it. Like if you have something you can lean on, like well, if nothing else, I could always sure. just shoe horses. It's Texas, yeah. So you got to Austin. I got to Austin. I ended up just substitute teaching. And then with your engineering degree, with my engineering degree. And this was great. Like you in San Diego, it's like 50 pages and a background check and fingerprints. 
in Austin, it was like one piece of paper I filled out and there's just a box, check here if you graduated from high school, check here if you graduated from college. Yeah. The difference in pay per day, $5. Huh. So my college degree earned me five it's, more dollars a day. You want a babysitter. Yeah, exactly. So what, what, when you did the engineering degree, I mean, what were you thinking? That's what the rodeo thing came up. I had to go get my transcripts uh, or my grades signed off on by the school registrar every week that I wanted to go to a rodeo. And then you like send in an entry and an entry fee and all that. And so I, I got to know her fairly well. And she'd be like, are you going to go to college? And I was like, I really don't know what I but was what study. were you doing in the rodeo? Just roping? Just roping, yeah. I healed. So I was like, if you've ever seen where someone ropes the horns and then it yeah. turns, I roped the back feet, the back oh, legs. Oh, okay, right. And uh, Were you good? I was all right. Yeah, I did okay. You ranked? No, my partner and I, we were pretty good. We were like that dark horse team where we won a couple times, but yeah. we'd win like individual rodeos. You have to win like every week and we couldn't really afford to go that much. So our, our place in the points and the standings wasn't all that Did you ever high. hear Dan Campbell? Uh, name sounds familiar, yeah. but... Uh, he's know. a contractor now, but he's a big rodeo guy. Oh, nice. He built my closet. <laughs> yeah, I know old Dan. <laughs> um, but he was, I think he's a pretty big rodeo guy. He yeah, did some. Yeah, he did some acting work and some stunt work. You know, he's like, uh, you know, he gave me a picture somewhere of him on a Bucky Bronco, bucking I, Bronco. I know a lot of guys still that will travel down here, and you know, any big movie that has a lot of horses, there's always a need for experts and things like that. Yeah. So you don't do that though. No, uh, I, I even, wouldn't even know how to get into. It. I mean, I don't have horses I can like bring with me somewhere, but well, you can ride one. Yeah, if that thing ever came, maybe up. an indie film will need a, a guy who knows how to ride a horse. Yeah, true. I, uh, and then I'm the guy. Yeah, that could that would have happened in Austin, I think. The indie cowboy movie. Where's that? <laughs> yeah, why hasn't that? I had one that I wrote where this, I wanted to write where this guy tells his sister that he, if her husband um, cheats on her or something, he's going to kill him. Uh-huh. And then that, you flash forward a few years and the guy's just been drinking and being a rodeo bum. And then the woman calls and goes, hey, so-and-so cheated on me. And then he sets out to kill this guy. Like, that would be the movie. Uh-huh. But he's like roping his way to get there and stuff. Uh-huh. I never put much thought into it, but... It sounds like there's a little thought into it. There's something story. there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I knew a lot of those guys that just live in like essentially RV campers, uh-huh. but can really rope or uh-huh. just amazingly... They just love the thrill of it. Yeah. Yeah. But anything else in life doesn't appeal to them. Yeah, because it's not immediate. Yeah. It's like comedy. That's kind of where I was in Austin. I just wanted to do comedy. So yeah. I, I, I had to get all the other subbing and anything that was taking hours out of my day, I just thought like I could be writing. So I moved to this place where I lived in the green belt. I just had a porch that looked out onto trees and I would sit there with like my notebooks open with like to sketch comics and to write jokes. And then I would just sit there with them blank all day. I yeah. never had any thoughts for like the first month I was there. Who, who was down there when you were there? Lucas and uh, Yeah, yeah. Lucas Bearden. and I were... Uh, Bearden was kind of the class above me. Was uh, Brendan Walsh down there then? Brendan, he was, he was just starting to work the road when I got there. He and I would like wash dishes at the comedy club together. Did you ever see me in Cap City? Was I ever there? Yeah, I told you about that set where it was like nine people <laughs> and then you did like the Sprint commercial after that. That's right. You were there? I was there for that set. Yeah, that was front room yeah and those two women were there yeah and i think hunt sales was there that night too uh soupy sales's son the drummer oh really and his chick <laughs> yeah that was like yeah you saw that yeah. yeah i was there all the time i was really i wanted to be like a comedy club rat or whatever yeah. for a better word and uh so I, I ran dishes and i worked the phones during the day and and yeah i saw everyone there so i i definitely saw that that uh, set and yeah. remember thinking like 
This is great for a weird reason, <laughs> but I think the reason is because it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm glad I gave you that experience. I, I'm glad I was the guy that showed you the heartbreak of your. But it's career. awesome. I mean, so many. To I, don't, I don't remember it being a bad set, really. No, it was really fun. Yeah. I, I stayed and watched the whole thing, which, you know, like, yeah. how often do you do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's interesting when I get into that situation because you can't really do material. So you kind of just kind of fly by the seat of your pants and. Just your with. body language, though. You're like, sitting on the stool yeah. just crumpled <laughs> <laughs> i think i feel like i that's become sort of a signature thing for me <laughs> that crumpled the, storage. Uh, yeah that was the impetus of it yeah m- was probably the beginning of it yeah. like i eventually yeah it just started like I, I i i seem to have leveled off in that i do do the stool thing the reading through the notes and looking up at the people and no no going yeah, yeah that's not gonna <laughs> that was yeah. yeah it was great it was really fun to watch and I always feel like you kind of put earmarks or things on people like they'll do it they'll <laughs> and so you want to see you be successful now it does kind of reinforce that oh, okay my instincts are okay I, yeah. I have a good idea that who I think should or could get to a point beyond having nine people in front of them. Right, right. Well, I think that was, it wasn't a weekend night, was it? It's probably the Wednesday Yeah, it was like the, the Wednesday show, yeah. Yeah, but that room in back's big, dude. It's a big room. Yeah. I kind of like that front room. Oh, the front room's great. Yeah, it, it, at it Cap used, City. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you get like 80 people in there and it feels jam-packed. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, so you stayed in Austin for how long? I, so it was, it was weird for me to get there and be at the bottom of open mics. Me and Lucas, my truck got broken into and someone stole my stereo. And that was like... Maybe the same guy who took the anvil. <laughs> that guy's following me and torturing me. <laughs> for your whole life. Just taking weird items. Yeah, just stealing things. And that stereo had been passed down from my great-grandfather. <laughs> yeah, it was a classic AM, <laughs> FM, you know, single speaker unit. <laughs> yeah, so Lucas and I went everywhere. We did Art Max Hack Shack, which was this terrible little open mic. We just, any place they had... I a, like him. He, he's open for me occasionally. Lucas? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's real funny. Yeah. And, um... And uh, then my truck got broken into, and the manager of the club was like, to make it up for you, you could be on like the um, the Mishmash show, which was kind of the showcase show. Yeah. So I did that, and then Margie saw me do that. Margie. And then Margie Coyle, she's the manager kind of uh-huh. owner at Cap City. And so then they they were like, you should do the contest, which was, I hated con- The idea of that was sickening yeah, to me. I don't like it. But they talked me into it, and then I did a spot for Comedy Central because of that. So I went from being dead I'm last. On, blend. Yeah, I, so I was like last on all the open mics to suddenly like, oh, now he's gonna do a TV spot. And then I did last comic. Then standing. you had a few comics hating on you. A little bit, but Austin was. I always liked that there wasn't a lot of that. It was a lot of like, this will be good for our scene. This will be good for us in general. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. it was. It was much more cathartic and sort of. Uh, communal in the let's be creative in all different ways yeah that's and cool then, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that uh, is a good community there yeah, d- yeah because of that it. yeah I feel like it's one of the more artsy communities oh definitely so you were there when did you make the jump because TIG inspired you or what I, I spent so even having done a couple of TV spots, I would like email occasionally to clubs or you know people I knew to see if I could go work. I just wanted to go do comedy. And Eddie Gosling said I could middle for him in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Eddie. And I was going to make $400. So I took the Greyhound bus yeah. 26 hours up, 26 yeah. hours back. And then I was really like, oh, man, I don't know if this road thing is... Yeah. the thing to do and that's where Brendan was real helpful because when he would he was working the road a lot then we'd be like washing dishes and he would he was 
you know, very much like, it's going to suck, but it's good for you. Yeah. So then I, He's I got a straight up dude, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah. And, uh, I got a call from an agency after last comic standing and they just started looping me out on the road a bunch. So what do you mean? You, you did last comic standing? Yeah. Well, okay. Be, before we get to there. So, so you got to know the registrar when you were signing out to go rope things and you go to college and you got an engineering degree. Uh-huh. Did, was that just by default? You didn't really she know? She said, she goes, you know, I think you're kind of similar to my husband and my son and they're both engineers. You should look into that. And so I got accepted to a school. I was going to just stay in Reno and a friend of mine kind of backed out of that deal. And so I just sent in my, yes, I'm coming there. And you check a box, what you want to major in. I yeah. just checked engineering. And you went the whole ride? Yeah, I'm just stubborn. I read books all the way through. I watch a movie all the way through. I mean, engineering did not start great. My GPA was horrible. My parents sat me down like, hey, if we're going to keep you in this, you got to prove to us that you want to be there and you got to get better grades. And I was like, why? Yeah. I'm doing my best. And they yeah. were like, oh, okay, just keep doing that then. Did you learn anything in engineering? Yeah, I um, I passed the uh, EIT or they call it the FE, which is like essentially saying, all right, you, maybe you got good grades, but now you have to pass this practical thing if you ever want to be an engineer. There? It's just everything you've learned in four years. What do you learn in engineering? Uh, so I did civil, which is a lot of uh, structural things, the forces, they should, when you go into it, just tell you like, hey, have you ever seen a building or just anything in life and wondered like how it's built, yeah. what sort of forces it right. has to withstand? It's right. that. So uh-huh. it's the, how much you have to pre-stress like the rebar and concrete. So an engineer basically becomes sort of a state inspector in a way. You or, become or, the builder ant. Right. Like we want to put more people pissing and shitting on the other side of the river over there. We need a bridge. Yeah. And that's what really didn't appeal to me. Like, I don't like people that much. I don't want them to keep spreading over the planet. Yeah. I, I'll entertain them. That's yeah. as far as I'll go though. I don't, that was the, that was the thing. It's like, they don't need to be on the other side of the river. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be part of this. Yeah. That's how <laughs> I felt really. It's just like, I don't want to be part of this. This is yeah. gross. And it was just real boring too. Yeah, yeah. I had like an internship where I got to do all this fun soil sample taking and yeah, stuff, but yeah. they were like, that's a job for the intern. Yeah. When you work here, you'll just be behind a computer. And I was like, Ugh, yeah. I don't want to do that. So now, like when, so you do premium blend out of Austin. So things are starting to happen. And you audition for Last Comic Standing in Austin? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I worked at the club and uh, didn't want to do it. I came in, just was like working the phones. And they were like, you know, Bob and Ross, I think, were the uh-huh. guys from they're here and if you don't go they'll be very upset they'll be really offended if you don't do it and i was like i don't like the show i think it's gross and they were like you know they booked the tonight show if you don't do this you'll really be so i was like fine i'll go do it and i did a set and then you know moved on and went and did the whole i hated it what what season were you um season four you you, you did the house and everything no i did the theater where they narrow it down to like 40 or something yeah. like that so and that was the end of it yeah and then went home from that and oh then, thank god yeah i was really uh there's still parts of that that bug me we had this sketch show that we were doing we had like a show planned on say like sunday but if we got cut from last comic standing we'd be home saturday so i was like let's keep our show let's yeah. let's not cancel it and my friends were like no you'll probably end up staying in the house let's cancel the show and so as soon as we got cut i was like damn it why didn't we just keep this is the thing i want to be doing i want to be on this dumb show but it got you a little traction yeah it's like anything everything i've hated has really worked out better for me than the things i really wanted to do well it was the best of both worlds you didn't have to be dragged through the humiliation of of those final rounds right yeah you got a little attention a little bit yeah yeah and you get to tell your jokes on nbc i mean it's not the worst thing so yeah in hindsight it was a good thing and i should have probably been a better sport about it yeah 
Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't necessarily think it's it, people fare that well in the long run from doing that show. Yeah. It's like Star Search. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but... it's just like you know, you, if you win or you place, you, you know, you get a good run for a couple of years, and then you're just back, sort of not too far from where you were before. Yeah. A lot of people, anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's not a testament to them. It's just the nature of that thing. Mm-hmm. You know that. You know, it's not. It's not about comedy as much as it is about you, you know people investing in the personality. Mm-hmm. Through the process of the reality show element, yeah, and wanting to support somebody, exactly. Yeah. I remember my mom calling me, going, "There was this little guy on uh, American Idol with kind of bad teeth, and he didn't yeah. have the best um, stage presence, but I just really liked him." And yeah, I was like, yeah. "That's everything wrong with it. He's yeah, not yeah. a good artist. You just feel sorry for him." Yeah, that's I, not yeah, fair. yeah I guess. Yeah, I guess it's sympathy or empathy or I don't. I don't know. You know people like seeing the struggle. <laughs> of, yeah. of people and people like seeing normal people or people that don't feel that different from them mm-hmm. you know succeeding somehow yeah. even if it's just winning the lottery right so but you're, you're like sort of it seems not compelled but you, you create you, you're making and yeah and you know by the titles like uh you know tickets still available things yeah. like that that the, trilogy the not sold out tickets still available final engagement <laughs> Yeah, I thought I was. I thought it was really a plan. I thought I was going to be out after final engagement. <laughs> I thought that was really going to be it. But wasn't there a freedom to that where you're kind of left to do your own thing? There wasn't. Well, pressure. yeah. Oh no, there was pressure. There was internal pressure. But I mean, really, what it came down to was that I, I couldn't do it any other way, you know. And I, and I was. I don't know if it was ambition or just persistence that. You know, I don't think I ever got into it to entertain people. I just got into it because I thought that was where I could talk and I could, you know, I could, you know, make my own choices. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was all, always very frustrated. It's like if only just wrote nicer jokes or if I wrote jokes at all it would be good. So it was never like I never really appreciated the freedom of it. Yeah. Until now, until the podcast, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was the big payoff is that, you know, I truly am free. And I can do this and, you know, and then some people now more people like me and they will come see me do the other thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's all very, you know, I, I'm very true to myself yeah. and I'm accepted for that. Mm-hmm. Like before it was like, I was true to myself because I didn't know how else to be. And it seemed like most people didn't like it. And that's not the greatest feeling in the world. <laughs> no. you know, I wasn't the- functioning on principle, like fuck them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm me and they better like it. You know, it, <laughs> it was sort of like, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I'm giving you everything yeah, I can exa- think of. Exactly, exactly, yeah. But yeah, it was touch and go, dude, for a long time. So so after last comic, you move out here? I did the road. I lived, I bought a station wagon um, through a weird series of circumstances where a friend of mine had a friend whose wife was in a sorority. Because I had my pickup truck. I'm like, I can't work the road. It's, it's an eight-cylinder, you know, old yeah. pickup truck. And so we wrote this sketch. They had, they were like, we've got a budget of $2,000. I know it's not a lot. I was like, tell them we'll do it for $2,000. Yeah. So they, they we didn't make that much. For to what? write like a three-page script for like their rush activity. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we wrote this thing and they paid us, uh, you know, enough for me to buy like a $1,000 station wagon. Uh-huh. And I, I bought it like on a Friday and I think Saturday did a gig in El Paso. So you run around oh, in yeah. a station wagon yeah, the, and I, shit I, gigs. I, yeah, I, I hauled my dog around with me a bunch. and you I still would, have the dog? Still ha- he's going to be 14 soon. I mean, he's, he's heading toward the end. Dogs but, and horses. Yeah. Well, how do you, like, I've, the guys I've known that grow up in a way that you do, you know, not necessarily riding, but but in, in you know, uh, ranch situations, they're, they're very sort of like, you know, they, they may get emotionally involved with animals, but they do know there's a, a limit to it. 
Oh no, I'm very. I'm a baby. I, oh I, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm. I've baby. I talk to my dog in a in an annoying way. I'm, I'm probably a lot like um like a Beverly Hills. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not saying you're not loyal, but you understand that you know animals die. And, yeah. But like, cause I, I there was one guy, Jim uh, Geppner, who uh, you know, when I had a mouse problem in a story, and I couldn't, I could not see mice as anything but little animals, and he's mm-hmm. like, they're vermin. <laughs> you, you're like cockroaches. You just kill them like bugs. I'm like, no, they're, but they're furry. You know, yeah, like, yeah. But he grew up in a ranch. You know, and he just had this sensibility about animals that was different. Oh, there. I'm not that way. Because I, I split time. I didn't grow up on a ranch. I, I mean, I, I was around but you know them. those people? That oh, are I definitely here? do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put it just, down. Yeah. yeah. I, the dog got loose and got into the cattle. Shoot it. Yeah. Those, and that to me, if you could put a, like a, a mic on me when I was out riding through the cows, you'd hear me talking to my horse going, good boy, you're doing great. Like, just <laughs> such a pussy. <laughs> and yet, like, hey, rope that thing. You got it. You yeah, know, yeah, it yeah, just yeah, seeming yeah, tough. But yeah, yeah, yeah. when I'd have, like, you know, a rope tight on my horse yeah. tied to a calf, I'd be like, that a boy. Keep holding him. <laughs> I just, I wasn't as tough and rugged as everyone else. Because I'd, I'd go be in the city and go, you know, not yeah. the city, but I, yeah. not yeah. on a ranch. So right. I had to kind of wear two, two yeah. different. Two different hats. Or, two, or wear a hat and not a hat. A hat and not a hat, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I tried to. secret hat life. <laughs> no one will ever know. <laughs> I remember once in seventh grade wearing Wranglers. And they yeah. were like kind of my laundry pants. Yeah. And people making fun of me endlessly oh look at this shit kicker hey yeah, hillbilly yeah, yeah, yeah. and then so i was like i'm never wearing my wranglers again that was so embarrassing wranglers were the pants though right no they were it was levi's or nothing no but i mean when you're really doing work oh yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> if you want to actually be using something that's not gonna rip I, wranglers for sure <laughs> and then in eighth grade this kid moves to town who wore wranglers just because he dressed like a cowboy but he was a new kid so he was cool Everyone starts wearing Wranglers. It's uh, the thing to do. And then so same thing happens. Laundry day, I'm wearing the Wranglers. Yeah. Look at you, you follower. You, uh, fucking, uh, you know, I had to deal with that. I was like, oh, You should have challenged that guy to a rope off. I know. I would have destroyed him, but um, never did. And I wonder what, because I doubt he ever was around horses or something. His <laughs> life was probably kind of sad in that way. He was reading <laughs> magazines saying, oh, horsey. <laughs> and I was getting to go out and do all that stuff. But I tried to keep a lot of that to a degree like with my dumb station wagon like i'd have my fishing pole in the back or my what? dog just i Your wanted to have fish, you what, pull over and fish i wanted to i just wanted to think that like still, I, you don't have to sacrifice everything to do comedy yeah i like that what that meant to you is having your dog and your fishing pole <laughs> and your hat yeah and your yeah. anvil so you're I driving did. around doing road gigs with an anvil a hat a fishing pole and a dog you're like i'm i'm not i'm, I'm a, i got integrity still <laughs> i'm still me you should have pulled them all up on stage been like dimitri martin yeah you know? show everyone my life yeah, so, you um, know, like a sort of a highbrow prop act <laughs> they're, they're just for show folks yeah, yeah, and yeah. just do my regular just, act just bring an anvil up there set it on a stool and not mention it <laughs> and then at the end go like i shoo if anyone needs a <laughs> Is that what you would say? I'll shoot it. I'll shoot it. Yeah. So you move out here after the road experience. Well, Tig would call me a lot. I spent two years just staying on friends' couches, and yeah. it was really the most artistic I think I got to be. I hauled around my scanner, yeah. and I would just draw comics in hotel rooms. You do, and scan do you publish them. comics? I haven't published them in any sort of books or anything like that. I've ne- I've sent them out and been resoundingly rejected uh-huh. um, or just ignored, but I pu- always put them on my website. and just. What's it, your website? Uh, DavidHuntsberger.com. 
Okay. And uh, I, I, it was just a thing, you know, you need it. You need some sort of outlet like that. Yeah. And I, I didn't play music. So I just drew a lot. And yeah. That really felt like a free time. I didn't have rent. I didn't have a relationship. I didn't have really bills. And so two years just zipping around and doing, doing comedy yeah. was great. Got You got hard. Yeah, I think I got, you know, built up uh, a little bit of that weird callus. Yeah. And, uh, and then Tig called and said uh, they were looking for a roommate. And I said, I, no, thanks. I don't really want to live in LA. Yeah. And then a few months later, it's like, we're, we're still looking. And, yeah. and then the the economy really tanked and a lot of like the little gas money gigs you would get and some yeah. of the other clubs were shutting down and I was like this might be a sign so yeah. I moved to LA and I don't know if it was a good move but at least you know I'm steady now or you're doing stable. all right I'm getting by I'm I'm not flourishing kind of like I'm, why not I, I don't think I was one of those people that envisioned it or came in with a plan. I just thought like that Mitch Hedberg joke, like I got into comedy to do comedy, which is weird. Yeah. And they were just sending me out on a lot of auditions for like, you seem like you'd host like an e-channel show. Yeah. That's well, they, yeah, that's how they think. Cause they think that like a yeah, comic, that's a job that we're available for. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's like a, a party favor. Yeah. Oh, you can just be funny. It's a thing you it's a have. Fucking death knell, man. When you do those interstitial things, the guy yeah. holding the mic stuff. I mean, you all, you, you know, you get those, you know, I did a few of those. And there's always this pitch from your management, like, no, it'll be good. You learn how to read prompter. You learn how to do this. Yeah. You learn how to wear other people's clothes. You know, <laughs> yeah. they, you know, you, you, yeah. you, you know, you can be yourself. That's that's always the killer. Yeah, you know, they just want you to be you, and then you get there and you're like, I got to be me and read that. Yep. It, yeah. And then more energy. That's yeah. all I ever heard. A little more energy. <laughs> like you said, I could be me. This is get me a horse. <laughs> I'll show you energy. <laughs> So yeah, I just, I don't think me and this town ever synced up in like what th was maybe expected and what well, I wanted to time. do. There's time. There's time. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, but I mean, like I, from just talking to you, I feel like you should, uh, you know, find yourself a horse situation here. Oh uh, yeah, that'd be great. Why I, don't you? I have no idea. I, what do I, you mean? There's horses out there. Oh, you mean like shoe horses in Burbank? Oh, or? No, just go find one you can ride. Yeah, it's a thing. It's like skiing. How at much Big does a Bear? horse cost? Depends on what you want, you know. If uh, you could like get a mid-range horse, mid-range horse that you could enjoy, you could find one for fifteen hundred bucks. Okay, so you get a fifteen hundred dollar horse, and then yeah, what does it cost to put it up? It's expensive hay right now because the drought is outrageous. So okay. you're up. I like that you you keep up on the hay prices, or you I, talk I to your dad. It. My dad's telling me, and everyone's yeah, I, I hear it. So. <laughs> But I don't have anyone I can go like chew on the end of a straw with me. Yeah, hay's going up. Yeah, it's a damn. I'm glad thing. that you know you're on top of that shit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure I could get my skiing at Big Bear. Just yeah. feels like wee. You know, it's not I, much I, of a mountain. Then. It's not much or there. Mammoth. Mammoth's great. Yeah. You know? So yeah. if I do ski, that's where I go. I yeah. try to go up near the Sierras. But the same thing with riding. I don't want to just go ride out and do a trail ride yeah it's yeah. just one of those weird things where like if you've ridden a horse with like a purpose like yeah. i'm going out to gather some cattle or what it's hard to be like now nah, i'm just gonna go do it for fun no, I know. it's the equivalent of like why don't you go take a drive in your car like, i'm not i don't do that so so that feeling that you had when uh what is whatever a year ago was when you went back to your dad and you actually did some branding uh -huh. a branding as yeah you said. So a branding is like you do a bunch of cows. We do like, I think that day maybe like 150. So that's like, that's a hell of a day's work. 
Well, there's a there's a squad though. You know, they're probably yeah, but still. You, uh, oh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's dusty. But like and you hadn't done it in, uh, in a while, so you're visiting your dad, and he's like, you know, I don't know if you still want to do this anymore, but we got branding kind of thing or what? Um, he just mentioned like, hey, you're, you know, your uncle's gonna brand some calves this weekend, and he kind of tells me that every year. And yeah. so if I'm gonna be out of town or whatever, a lot of times like I I can't. I'm gonna be where. Does he actually need your help, or does he want to spend time with you? Both. We and we go fishing, and we we have a great relationship. You know, yeah. we we bond a lot in these sort of things, and like my dad really dug that that I came home and, yeah, and did like, the brain. I, yeah I got your saddle I did this thing to it or you know oh, things yeah? like that yeah yeah he, he wants to make sure it's a good experience and so and then his horse is my horse's son uh-huh. so that's kind of cool that we're riding like relatives <laughs> and uh, yeah so we both like were out there roping at the same time my girlfriend got some great photos of you know me having one calf like around the neck and my dad roping its feet and that uh-huh. sort of thing and um yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's not something you would like pressure me into. Like, this is your heritage; you got to come no, home. No, no, but it's like something you do together. Oh yeah, totally. And I liked it. It really did feel like I still have my old pickup truck. It just sits in a yard, and I have my horse trailer right behind it. And Where I just feel in, outside same of Reno? Uh, that one's actually <laughs> at some my mom's old neighbors who are friends of mine. Just said, yeah, you got you a truck and here. a horse trailer sitting there. Yeah. And they and I I know I have to get it out of there, but it's kind of like my link to that world. Uh-huh. And living in LA and kind of you know I don't have those things. I don't have space. Yeah. I don't have open areas. Yeah. And so it's kind of like well, I still have this last little sliver of that left, and I you know want to kind of keep it, I guess. Yeah. Um, but so going home and doing that with my dad was fun. It was like oh yeah, this is I can still do it. And it it, it in an ego way, it did matter to me that people were like. Yo, for a guy in LA, you can rope all right. It's <laughs> like, yeah, all right, still got it, <laughs> still got. I felt good. I was mad at myself that I cared about. Oh that. man, well, I hope you get your own ranch someday. Thanks, man. It was good well, talking to you. Nice talking with you as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, that's it. That's our show. That was interesting, right? A cowboy tale. Who would have fucking thunk it? A cowboy tale. I'm coming from uh, from a car in a panic, uh, driving to Indianapolis to get a plane to another plane that I'm probably going to miss. Go to WTF Pod for all your WTF Pod needs. Uh, enjoy your life. Uh, hopefully everything works out. Um, and, and I don't want to be misunderstood. I have nothing against horses. They're just not for me. Uh, what else? I don't know what else, man. I can't live like this. i got to pay more attention to my travel. Can you hear the air conditioner? Look, they can't all be perfect. You know, I'm just I'm, I'm just happy I had the equipment. I could have done this in my hotel room, but I didn't because I thought it would make my flight until I saw the schedule. And, and now I don't know what's going to happen. I'm probably going to be running with a bag through Chicago, sweating. Not even didn't, not even having time to go to Rick Bayless' restaurant to have a Cuban sandwich. I don't have the ambassador club access anymore because somehow or another there was a falling out between amex and american airlines so i'm not even special in that way anymore these are luxury problems as they say Ugh! god damn it boomer lives <laughs>